You're listening to Group, a podcast about mental illness and mental health. This is the show for the Warriors. How's it going with the fidget spinner? Great! You seem a lot less anxious. The hypochondriacs. I just read Brooke Shields' book on postpartum depression. Now I have pre-postpartum depression anxiety. And the people feeling a little low. I was at a bar last week, and I was talking to a girl, and I told her that I have clinical depression. To the folks who are looking for support, we're here to lend some help. Like Dr. Phil, only qualified. To the people feeling a little off, we're here to share some insight. Is there, and I'm just guessing here, some kind of medication that you maybe need a lot of and have taken none of, or maybe too much of today? Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, your resident anxious person, and I'm here with group friendopist, clinical social worker, Catherine Drury. Hi, Catherine. Hi there. Um, how is your fall going so far? Really busy. <laughs> um, it's like all those things that you keep saying over the summer, oh, after Labor Day, after Labor Day, mm-hmm. and then Labor Day happens. and then... Reality! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All the way from Seattle, Washington, the nation's capital of coffee, flannel, and gutter punks with umbrellas, we have science writer Ian Chant. So Ian, how are things on the best coast? Things are are pretty harried, I would say. Okay. That seems to be the theme for September. (laughs) Harried is the perfect word. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm recording with y'all right now and then going immediately to catch a, a train down to Portland to handle a bunch of wedding planning stuff. But you seem to be dealing with it, like, relatively well. So maybe the West Coast kind of, like, chill vibe is starting to affect you a little bit? Uh, You know what? I probably am. I think, uh, like, this is is not empirical or data-backed in any way, but I feel like it would be angrier in New York. Ah, interesting. (laughs) So it's officially October, and we've just experienced our first full week of fall. The days are... Getting shorter already, but we still have um, a month left before daylight savings kicks in. So. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes, I know. Thank God. Um, but this is the time of year when a good portion of the population starts uh, experiencing sort of a, a shift in mood. And for some people, that shift can be uh, pretty dramatic and lead to depression. So group today is all about that seasonal depression, which is also known as seasonal affective disorder or SAD. Uh which is a hilariously meta name, um, and props to the comedian uh, team at the at the DSM who came up with that one. Every time we emailed back and forth about it, I just had an image of sadness from, yeah, what's that movie? Inside Out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, like, sad. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking about, like, the people at the DSM when they were, like, inventing those names. The, you know, psychotherapist there or whatever being like, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Yeah, psychologists do love that kind of thing, yeah. We'll speak with a seasonal depression expert about some of the unique and, dare I say, fashion-forward treatment options. There's a visor that you can wear that looks like a tennis visor, but it has light bulbs in the, the roof of the visor. We'll hear from two individuals with SAD about how their life changes with the seasons. The number of dark hours here in New York per day in the winter is, like, gross to me. I stopped listening to music, and I stopped reading as well, because the music and the reading gave me too many feelings. And finally, we'll conclude the show with a very special 
very insightful guest. I was thinking that we should change the name of the disorder to something a little bit less depressing, like something like Pumpkin Spice Blues. So stick around and you'll be glad. You'll learn about sad. It won't be bad. Am I right, comrade? <laughs> Got a little socialist at the end. Before we dig further into some of these conversations, I want to do a little primer on SAD. So I spoke with someone who spends a lot of time thinking about the science of the disorder. So I'm Catherine Rockline, and I'm an associate professor of psychology at the University of Pittsburgh. And I run the seasonality research laboratory and a behavioral genetics laboratory. A seasonal affective disorder is actually defined at least as exactly the same as non-seasonal, regular clinical depression. It's just that we know the time of year when it's going to start and probably the time of year when it's going to recover or remit. Now, one thing we do see pretty often, actually, is that some individuals will have some level of depression all year round, but it'll get significantly worse in winter. How prevalent is it in, in the United States? Actually, about 1% of people in Florida have seasonal affective disorder, and then more like 5% in the Maryland latitude and 7% here in Pittsburgh, all the way up to 11% in Maine. But if we took all of North America together, it's somewhere in the 1% to 2% total. Mm-hmm. So uh, why did some people have SAD and, and other people don't? That's a very good question, because um, when you see the winters here in Pittsburgh, you do actually wonder why anyone doesn't have it. Um, We all experience these darker days in winter and shorter days because dawn happens later and dusk happens earlier. But it may be that people with SAD, it's not enough light for them. They need more light. They process it perhaps less efficiently. Maybe they're less sensitive to the light. Or maybe there is some disconnect in the brain between the retina and the rest of the brain that isn't functioning properly, such that it's not enough light in winter, whereas there may be enough light to overcome mm. this this difference in summer. So then how how is light? connected with mood? There are a couple of ways that we know of. Basically, the idea is that being in a bright, sunny environment with higher light levels, it'll do a bunch of things. It'll certainly increase alertness and improve attention. And we think it acutely improves mood. Mm -hmm. Um, I always ask my college students if they'd rather take their exam in a dark dim room or a brightly lit room and they're almost universally willing to do it in the bright room because I think we just intuitively have the sense that we are more energized and more alert and potentially have a better mood when we're in bright environments. Mm -hmm. I was reading a paper that you worked on about the connection between depressive behavior and environmental stimuli, like uh, signaling mm-hmm. signaling low light, which I thought I thought was fascinating. So, uh, yeah. can you sort of tell me a little bit about that and what sort of stimuli might like trigger the, these depressive feelings? 
Well, so you kind of have to think about it over the lifespan. If we have a particular person who finds that they just don't feel as well typically in the winter as in the summer, they might start to associate not feeling well with all of the signs of fall and winter. Mm -hmm. So... The stimuli we see at the grocery store, like the introduction of um, Halloween candy in the middle of summer Mm -hmm. and the Thanksgiving or Christmas or winter holiday or Hanukkah decorations that start to crop up, those could all be signals of the coming of winter. Other signals or stimuli are things like earlier dusk, later dawn that people report, certainly the time change. Whenever the time changes, my phone starts ringing off the hook and participants call me and let me know, you know, now that the time has changed, I'm really starting to feel a lot worse. So that's another stimulus. Um, Even things like the, the leaves changing or cooler days. Like, uh, pumpkin spice latte could bum you out. Yeah. Um, I always get really freaked out when I see Halloween candy, you know, in the pharmacy or whatever in, in August. I, I, seasons definitely affect me uh, and affect my mood. So, like, I've always been more of a spring-summer person than a fall-winter person. I'm, you know, a 30-year-old woman who still gets back-to-school anxiety, even though I've been... Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Been out of grad school for, like, six years or whatever, but still, like, you know, have the same elementary school, like, oh, God, I'm going to have homework sort of feeling. I'm convinced that just never ends. Like, okay, it's September, okay? It's time to, like, work hard again. Okay, no more summer fun. Yeah, (laughs) or even just the sadness that comes with the end of summer. And it's like, I work all summer at my full-time job. My schedule doesn't change. (laughs) But it's still, like, the fun season. And now the fun season is over. Exactly. I mean, I guess it's just ingrained in you, right? Like, I associate it with tests and not being able to be outside. It's harder for me to do things in the winter, too. I, it's harder for me to get to the gym and to see people and to, to socialize. Um, and so by March in New York, I'm always, I feel like, going a little bit crazy. This is really interesting because I'm, I'm like, uh, sort of one season off from y'all. I'm okay with summer, but, like, once it hits fall, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Like, we got sweaters, we got leaves changing, we got Halloween candy, which I always look forward to. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, like, hitting my stride. Uh, actually, the, the the thing that always gives me anxiety about uh, Halloween candy is how, how quickly Christmas candy starts biting its style. Like, this last year, Halloween candy was on the, the like, shelves for, like, two weeks before Christmas candy was, like, up next to it. And I was just like, Christmas, you need to get out of Halloween's grill. You need to let Halloween happen. It is like October 15th. We do not get Christmas candy yet. So SAD can also affect people on a level that's that's not quite clinical depression. It's called subsyndromal seasonal affective disorder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Rockline was telling me about that. So it's like not quite depression level, but it's like still the seasons are, are screwing with you and screwing with your mood and maybe your mood is a little bit lower. Mm, um, right. So a little like dysthymia on a cycle. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> So I spoke with two people who experienced seasonal affective disorder in different ways. 
So the first is Lars Castine, who is a 35-year-old musician and producer living in New York. I asked him to describe how the season change felt for him when he first started experiencing symptoms of SAD. I think the, the, the first sort of symptom was just being really overwhelmed by the limited access to sunlight that I got. Like, I think that I felt like the world was dark all the time earlier than I started feeling symptoms of depression. Mm-hmm. My wife also uh, has depression. Her depression is, I think, more of a year-round sort of experience. Mm-hmm. But I think she was able to recognize symptoms in my affect uh, during the winter that she was able to amateur diagnose as being depression-related. So what were some of the symptoms that your wife was was recognizing in you at that time? What were some of the symptoms that my wife was recognizing in me at the time when she suggested that maybe I have seasonal affective disorder? And I'm now looking at my wife and waiting oh, okay. for her to answer the question. Sure. She, she says that she was recognizing in me sort of just like a global sense of sadness rather than any sadness in any specific thing. Like I would just have like a default mode of being sad kind of all the time and very low energy. Like for me, my experience of it is it's just sort of like a, uh, a weariness and a weight that comes on yeah. throughout the period of time. So I'm very like easily pushed towards sadder feelings. But I think it's more, it's more just that there's this weariness that makes it so that I, I have like an under reaction to things. I just feel, you know, I just feel sort of disconnected from things. It's hard for anything to, it's like if I have uh, good things happen, they're like a momentary sort of lift above, uh, above the clouds. And I'm aware at all times that like this sort of heavy sensation that I like get behind my eyes through the, uh, through the winter is something that's going to like come back again uh, pretty quickly. That's so interesting that you describe it as like this weight, because um, when I first started having issues with depression, that's like what the way that I described it to my therapist at that point, it felt physically like my brain was heavier. It was harder to do anything just because like my brain had like felt like it gained like 10 pounds or something like that. Um, totally. And I, and I think that that's like an experience that I have had throughout my life at times. Like, I think it's like a healthy thing to have sometimes if you're, you know, if you're underslept, if you're overwhelmed, if you're going through emotionally difficult things, like there are moments of that kind of weight that, that I, uh, ascribe to like sort of typical things in life. The issue is that, uh, it becomes sort of my default as the, uh, you know, as sunlight goes away. So what time of year would that normally start for you? Uh, like right now, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I feel it as early as mid July, not pervasively, but, but there's like a, uh, there's a feeling that I associate with, uh, with fall and with winter that, uh, I can see, I can, I can feel the sort of like first glimmers of in July. And the moments when it starts feeling overwhelming are like mid-September, like right around right now. So when is it sort of at its worst for you? I think it's really more about an accumulation of time than it is about an intensity of a feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's worse for me probably in late February. 
but I think that's less because like that's when the sunlight is starting to come back. And I think that it's worse than mostly because it's an, like it's a feeling that I have had for, yeah, you've just been, it's just been so long at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like five months. Yeah. Um, so, so it feels it's, it's, it's worst when it feels like it's a, uh, like it's a sort of undeniable fact of reality more than, more than when it's a very intense feeling. Did it affect your creative life at all? It probably affects my creative life. Like I work in an office and my ability to, to do my work is not something that I'm, I I get particularly stressed out about. Like I I just have a job and I can do my job. It doesn't, doesn't really bother me that much. Um, creatively, I, in my downtime, produce music and play guitar. And I notice, like every year, I keep like a folder of uh, project files for different songs that I'm working on. And I always notice that there's a spike in April and there's a spike in October, where just naturally, without thinking about it, I get a lot of work done on the way into the winter and the way out of the winter. Interesting. And. I don't, I don't know if that's like really a great piece of evidence. Like, I don't know if that really means much of anything, uh-huh. but it's something that I'm, I'm cognizant of. And, uh, it's not like I'm not working creatively the rest of that time, but it's, it's like a very productive, it's like, those are moments where I'm like very grabbed by the things that I'm working on it tends to be a sort of like effortless, uh, period of productivity. Mm-hmm. Because the, the April uh, increase in productivity like makes sense to me because you're you know you're exiting the winter but the october is is sort of interesting like how how would you would you think you you like sort of interpret that is, is it like a trying to get things done before the winter sets in or is it you know just i'd say either it's just a coincidence and it's like oh in october that's when my job gives me more time or i think it's possible that in October, the feelings of depression that I get uh, every season are novel. So, like, they're, like, a strong thing to react to. They feel like a motivating force wow, rather really, than, yeah. like, an omnipresent. I think having sort of, like, a seasonal tie to depression, I think, is, like, inherently uh, a different experience from having just, like, a pervasive sort of, like, like clinical depression that's that's that exists throughout the year or throughout your life because like there is a kind of uh, rhythm to it that in, in itself is like profoundly different from the way that I understand. Yeah. Like, it's like a um, new experience that you can creatively react to. Yeah. It's like this, the sweet spot of depression where it's not like overwhelming. I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's like true. And I feel like that, I feel somewhat irresponsible saying something like that, but, but it's like the way that I work creatively and that I, do songwriting i'm like kind of hyper aware of my emotional state mm-hmm. sort of all the time so like it's definitely the case that in september and in october uh, i start feeling very different and that is itself uh sort of something to react to yeah so i thought that the physical heaviness was something that i can really re- relate to when it comes to depression the other person who we're going to talk to in a little bit kate who also has seasonal depression, uh, was describing it as like this like screwed up childhood game where, you know, you uh, you had sleepovers where you pretend to like cut people's arms and legs open and fill them with sand. What? You know, you never played that. Like and then you try to get up, you like tell a story about how you're putting sand in their arms and sand in their legs. And, th- and then at the end, you're supposed <laughs> to try and get up and it's 
you feel heavy. Mm. She was saying she feels like that. I'm sorry. I feel like we really need to back up to this Tim Burton-esque, uh, like, sleepover game that you apparently played in A Nightmare? I have <laughs> never heard of this, and it is bizarre and terrifying. I mean, I think just, like, gr- little girls do weird things at sleepovers that are often, like, you know, you play Bloody Mary, you go and, like, try and scare each other, you play Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board, lots of Ouija games, things like that, <laughs> like, not, not like, all just begging for, like, ghosts to come and, like, murder you, you know? Oh, yeah, those I'm familiar with. The, the <laughs> pretending to... Uh, to cut someone open and fill them with sand was a brand new one to me. <laughs> <laughs> so is that um, like the opposite of why is it feather stiff as a board? Yeah, it's be super heavy and then try to stand up and not be able to. But yeah, so the other thing that I thought when I've experienced depression in the past, like... Um, was like another another physical thing in my brain, which was like this idea of this faucet that was dripping in my in my brain. I had this image of this like faucet and the the depression was the water that kept dripping and I just like couldn't turn it off. Hmm. Um, it was this leaky faucet and it would just like drip and drip and drip. And it was like, what is it? Chinese water torture is, hmm. is, is that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I would just get this like, depression, headache, and felt like this, each drop was heavy. That's really interesting. I can't, I can't say that I've ever, like, visualized my depression before. So, in addition to Lars, I also spoke with someone else who has sad, uh, someone very near and dear to my heart, my cousin. Can I get you to uh, introduce yourself? Tell me, tell me your name and who you are. Um, my name is Catherine Murray Douglas. I am a 26-year-old woman. I studied writing in college and in grad school. I have two cats. Uh, it's a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> who am I? Unlike Lars, Kate has regular old depression year-round, which she treats with medication and therapy. I joke that my body is, like, perfect for medication. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, the Wellbutrin really um, improved and continues to improve my state of mind. But it gets worse when the seasons change. The first time I was ever, like, yes, this is a problem, was when I moved into an apartment by myself, which was about two years ago. I've always lived with a bunch of people, and it really gave me the incentive to, like, be up and talking to people and doing this and doing that, even in the winter. But then I moved in here by myself, and I noticed that once it started getting dark, it became a lot harder to do things. It became a lot harder to get up or to clean or to even scoop the cat poop. Like everything seems so insurmountable because we had these precious few hours of daylight and I was at work. And then I would get home and I'd be like, okay, time for bed, even though it's five o'clock. So would you go to sleep immediately when you got home or would you like, were you sleeping a lot or are you just spending a lot of time in bed? I would go to sleep at like six or seven. I would even like take NyQuil to go to bed that early. Um, just because it felt like 
the better alternative. Like how many hours were you sleeping at that point? Oh my gosh, I don't know. If I was going to bed at like six or seven and then I would get up late, like I have to be at work at nine um, and I would get up at like eight o'clock. So God, how long is that? 12 hours, 12 to 14 hours. But I never felt rested. Do you remember like anything during that time giving you joy at all? The only things that I enjoyed doing were listening to audiobooks and um, driving. But other than that, no. The most, the weirdest thing was I stopped listening to music, which I usually am like, I have music all the time while I'm at work, while I'm in the car, while I'm walking. And I stopped. And I stopped reading as well because the music and the reading gave me too many feelings, stirred up too much stuff that I didn't want to deal with or I didn't want to think about. I I don't know. You want to just consume content that is just going to make you like just numb you. Oh yeah, absolutely. You want to, um, you want to turn yourself off and you want to just be blank. Yeah. And not have to think about who you are as a person or wrestle with like big questions like what does it mean to be a good person what does it mean to do the right thing what is it are we alone in the universe Uh, what's the point of doing anything because we're just gonna die and no one's gonna remember us uh um so yeah and reading brings that up uh and music brings that up when, when do you remember in the season it started and like, when did you start to feel better? It started, it would start in October, even though I love Halloween and I look forward to it all year, it would start, I'd say mid-October. Um, and then I wouldn't start feeling better until I could like feel the heat on my skin, you know, like late April, early May, when you like realize that you can take your jacket off and it's warm out and when the light came back when I could get up at 6 a.m. and it would be light out. Her symptoms do present very much like classic depression and like the psychologist talked about earlier. They just happen to to go through sort of these cycles with the seasons. So it's interesting because Kate said that she really actually likes winter, not just fall and Halloween, but actually the snow and the stillness and some of the things that are associated with like, you know, the cold. Like she likes all of those things. And and Lars and Kate both said that they were attracted to cold weather climates um, and that they wouldn't be interested in moving to like Southern California or anything like that, which I, I thought was interesting because that would totally solve their seasonal issues. So I spoke with Professor Rockline about treatment options for SAD. So a lot of the same things that work for non-seasonal depression should should work. So that's medication and therapy. But there are also some really effective treatments that have been developed specifically for SAD. Lars has been using one of them for years. When did you first start using a, a, a lamp? And what were the circumstances surrounding your decision to use it? Uh, I first started using a lamp probably around seven or eight years ago. I think that this was probably after three years of my wife reacting to the pattern uh, uh, in my, like, 
mood and behavior over uh, over the years. It was probably reached a breaking point where it was something that I felt like I had to respond to. Uh, I had a doctor's appointment that you know year, like a, just a regular physical, and I mentioned to my doctor in a very casual way, like, you know, like I might be sort of depressed in the winter. And my doctor, who is not, uh, you know, any kind of uh, psychologist or anything like that, just sort of casually tossed off a comment about like, oh, well, you should get a light. You can buy these lights. Here's the website. You just buy the light and then you feel better. So <laughs> I went to the website and bought this big lamp uh, for like $120 at the time, which at that moment was a ton of money for me to be spending mm-hmm. and felt like uh, like the money itself was a completely demotivating sort of factor. Like the idea of I'm going to spend this like large chunk of money on this thing that may just like it might just be serving something. It may be a, a treatment that doesn't work. Yeah, it might just be some a, sort of uh, yeah, placebo thing. Yeah, it yeah. could be it could be snake oil. Mm-hmm. It could be it could be a it could be a placebo for um, for a condition that I don't even have. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the the way you're supposed to use it is something that I wasn't really capable of doing uh, for the first couple of years, uh, just based on lifestyle things. You're supposed to use it early in the morning for like an hour at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, with it basically like right in your face. Uh, and I wasn't up early in the morning, so I would just sort of use it randomly throughout the day. And it had some effects. I think it's like, it has an immediate momentary effect, but I think in order for it to have like long lasting, uh, sort of like pervasive effects, I needed to, to use it like according to the directions on the, the lamp. And that didn't happen until probably three or four years later when I really started getting up like before sunrise, like I get up around, 5:45 in the morning throughout the fall to walk my dog and then when I'm done walking my dog I have like two hours before I have to go to my job and during that time if I use the lamp it's like effective but but it took several years of me even owning the lamp to get to the point where like I was serious enough about trying to like take care of this to use it in a way that would be uh, genuinely uh, helpful to me what were the effects that you felt when you were using it spontaneously sort of throughout the day or like for a few minutes at a time throughout the day? Like, I think there's an immediate relief of that kind of weight that I was talking about. I think just having like a full range of light uh, in your face is a, is an uplifting thing. If you're indoors all day and you go outside in the sun shining, there's like a positive sort of emotional benefit to that. I think like the way that it's supposed to work is that you're like literally changing the hours in the day in which you can get access to that thing. So it's like using it, using it spontaneously has a spontaneous positive effect, which is great mm-hmm. and uh, is helpful. Like, I don't think it's bad to do, but, uh, but I think it's a different, it's a different thing from like having a sort of like systematic uh, exposure to it. And have you noticed like a significant shift since you started that pattern of using it um, in the mornings, uh, you know, after after your walk with your dog? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a little hard to answer the question because the immediate uh, effect of having the lamp on is so positive. Mm-hmm. But even if there weren't like a long term effect, 
I would appreciate sitting in front of the lamp while like the sun is still coming up because uh, like on an intellectual level, the number of dark hours here in New York per day in the winter is like gross to me. Like it makes me mad mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, by the time I get home from my job, so the sun has been down for three hours. I think that's like a terrible way to live. And even if it didn't have like a long-term mood benefit for me, I would still do it because just the experience of doing it is like enjoyable and is positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I can't really self-report that mood stuff that well, but I think m- my wife, the first year that I did it, I think my wife noticed that I got into like extremely like black moods significantly less regularly. And she's nodding at me as she's looking at me talking to you on the phone. My cousin Kate has also been using a lamp. Lars has been using it for years and years now. Um, Kate only got diagnosed with SAD a couple of years ago, so she started using the lamp at that time. But, but she said it's been incredibly helpful as well. My alarm goes off at 6. I put it on snooze. <laughs> then I walk into the kitchen and turn the coffee pot on, and then I go back to bed. Uh, then it goes off again at 6.10, and turn it off, go pour a cup of coffee, go back into my room, sit in bed, and turn the happy lamp on and read the news for like 45 minutes um, or whatever. Watch Frasier. I don't know. And then by that time, the sun is usually up so I can turn it off and get ready for my day. So when did you start noticing that it was making a difference for you? I would say probably about a week or two in, it just sort of hit me like, I feel pretty good, you know? It's the same thing with the meds, you know? After you sort of, everything is the same for a while, and then one day you, it just sort of kicks in, and you're like, wow, I feel like how normal people are supposed to feel. I started feeling more functional when I had, and when I would do the half an hour to 45 minutes with it, like 24 inches from your face. Yeah. And it, it really made, made all the difference. Ian, I sent you a light. I sent you a sad lamp. You did. Um, it is actually on right now. I think I've been using it a little bit off label mm-hmm. because the email you initially sent me recommended using it like, for, for what, 10 to 30 minutes, sort of when I was, when I was sitting down for a cup of coffee or yeah, in, the in the morning, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which literally I, I immediately laughed out loud at the idea of myself having time to do that. It's kind of a foreign <laughs> notion to me. Now I will say uh, when the day we're recording this, um, I'm, I'm uh, working from home. And so I've been at my, my home office desk today and I've, I've had it on uh, like in the corner uh, next to me. And I just keep kind of turning it back on when it goes off. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what that says, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't kick it out of bed is, is sort of the relationship mm-hmm. I'm having with, <laughs> with it right now. Uh, it's interesting. I've been using it in the mornings, and the first couple times I used it, I just felt like I couldn't use it for more than 15 minutes because I felt, like, totally wired after I used mm-hmm. it. Um, like, it felt like I had drank, you know, like five cups of coffee or something like that. Interesting. And then also after the light went off, I 
was very aware of how dark my apartment was, yeah. you know, also. Um, so I don't know. And I don't think I necessarily have seasonal depression, but I, my mood is definitely affected by the seasons. And I was wondering if light therapy would be something that would be helpful to I, me. I just wanted to jump in because this is definitely something that I have, have tried before um, in different scenarios. Um, when I was in New York, in one of my, my many um, quasi-legal si- living situations, uh, I was in a room with uh, no windows, uh, and mm. after a couple months living in that apartment, it left me feeling very like, like sort of detached. Mm. Um, and so I picked up a, a sunlight reproducing lamp mm-hmm. uh, that was hooked up to a alarm, and so it would sort of wake me up with something akin to sunlight in the morning. Uh, yeah, which is definitely I mean- the most like like Philip K. Dick dystopian coping mechanism I've developed. But mm-hmm. like it worked. Uh, just as Dr. Rockline was saying in the beginning, like like light will affect your mood even if you're not if you even if you don't have right. yeah seasonal effect, uh, affective disorder. So like yeah, if you're living in a in a dark space with no windows for an extended period of time, like yeah, that's probably gonna screw with you a little bit and like yeah, yeah you should get some lamps. And there's something that's different about light from the sun or from a sad lamp as opposed to just plain artificial light. So there are actually some best practices for using the the light, light therapy that I went over with uh, Dr. Rockline. The first one is that you should get a 10,000 lux, which is lux is a measurement of light, uh, 10,000 lux full spectrum lamp Uh, but it should also have a UV shield um, so that it doesn't hurt your eyes. You're supposed to use it for 30 to 45 minutes in the morning, seven days a week, Um, uh, and which is where it gets a little bit challenging for people. Even when people know it's going to be effective, uh, they quite often just don't use the lamp the way they should. Um, so I was reading in one of your papers that you wrote that only about 12 to 41 percent of individuals with SAD will continue to use the treatment even after like a previous winter of, of it, you know, working successfully for them. Right. Um, and we you- think that's mostly because of how burdensome it is. Yeah. Yeah. So if you imagine the typical person with seasonal affective disorder is in their 30s or 40s and maybe the primary caregiver for either younger kids or older parents just don't have the time to wake up half an hour to 45 minutes early, sit in front of a light box and do nothing else. They just simply may not have the lifestyle where that's possible. There are a couple of options. There are some light therapy glasses that can be worn and that leaves the person a little bit more mobile. Now you do still have to be awake with your eyes open Uh in order to get the benefit. So you can't sleep through it yet. 
Um, there's also a Dawn simulator, which meta-analyses suggest is pretty effective. Um, and this is basically an alarm clock with a light bulb on it. And the thought is because the light is, um, the person is exposed to the light the moment they wake up, when our eyes and circadian clock are actually more sensitive to light than later that morning, it may be just as effective as light later in the morning. Um, so those are some ways in which we can get light in a way that's slightly less time-consuming and immobilizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a visor that you can wear. It's very attractive. Oh, I saw that. It looks like that. a tennis visor, but it has light bulbs in the, um, the roof of the visor, and you can walk around wearing that. But then there's also um, a new psychotherapy that's been developed that targets SAD specifically. And the interesting thing, I think, about that. So the light therapy and the psychotherapy have the f- same response rates the first time someone tries them. It's But what's interesting about the psychotherapy it is it seems to prevent episodes the next year, wow. even if the person does nothing. So they don't have to do brush-up sessions or go back to the psychotherapy. It's like the psychotherapy helped them to learn different thoughts and behaviors the first time they did it that protect them from having depression the next year. Oh, my gosh. I would love to try that. How does how does it work? Well, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. So you go to a psychologist. There's actually both a therapist manual and a patient manual on Amazon for this. Oh, wow. And it's it's called Coping with the Seasons. And so if you have a therapist who knows how to do cognitive behavioral therapy, they could very easily use the therapist manual. And as a patient, you can get the workbook and work through the steps together. And there's actually now two years of data. Um, So it's not just the next winter, but we have data on the, the, I guess it would be the third winter showing protective effects. So for people who, you know, have difficulty, like, or who don't feel like they have the time to get up earlier to, to use mm-hmm. the, the light, can you like incorporate it into your morning routine? Like, is it okay if you use it while you're like, you know, using your computer or while you're watching the news? Yeah. So one of the things I like about those smaller LED lights is that they could actually sit under or beside the computer. Mm-hmm. And You know, they just fit on the desktop better. If you're watching TV, probably you can actually put the light on a table in front of you and still watch the TV at a distance. I guess what I would say is the same as um, skipping weekends, which is if you are using light therapy in these ways that allow you to do more stuff in the morning other than just sitting in front of the light and it's working for you, the depression is completely resolved, then yes, that's great. If not, then it might be that the light needs to be more directed towards your eyes and not off to the side, or it needs to be closer to the eyes, something like that, so that the actual dose of light, which which diminishes when it's not central or mm-hmm. not close, is increased. It makes sense to me that a lot of people won't use the light again, even if they know I'm it's surprised helpful. surprised because, I mean, once once they saw how yeah. well it worked, I was really surprised they didn't use it the next year. Yeah, I've done CBT for anxiety in the past, mm-hmm. and, like, I would do... I had to get to a place myself where I just really wanted to... 
I really wanted yeah. to change um, because, you know, before that, when I was sort of like um, ambivalent about it or whatever, I would do like my CBT homework like half the time. Um, yeah. You know, if you're depressed or whatever and you're having difficulty motivating or just doing like basic things, then like I can imagine like if you want to if you're having trouble like getting out of bed to begin with that like maybe. Yeah, the most yeah. difficult time of day for a person with seasonal affective disorder to do anything mm-hmm. is 7 a.m. Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. whenever it is that their alarm goes off Monday morning. Um, so some of the things that I recommend for people is um, to make breakfast appealing. So if um, what motivates you to get out of bed is that the coffee has already automatically brewed itself and you have a dawn simulator so that the bedroom is bright and sunny and cheery when you open your eyes when the alarm goes off. If you need snacks by the bedside, um, if you can get someone to bring you the coffee and then, you know, (laughs) strawberries on your waffles or... You know, your favorite novel or a magazine or an iPad with all of your favorite media, right, with the light. If you just make morning more pleasant, then it can increase your ability to use the light at the right time. Is this something a, that most therapists could, like, offer offer suggestions on, like, like how to use a sad lamp or... Like how to adjust it. So if if you're a, a therapist who practices CBT, I think you could just use this manual and like. Yeah, and also definitely help you find patterns and and your particular cycles and learn how to how to use um, the sad lamp to kind of interject in those cycles um, in a way that's going to be effective. Um, people just don't want to do it because they it's like inconvenient with their day. And I was thinking about like, if you had clinical depression, you know, so much that it was like affecting your life, like, you know, like Kate was talking about, like she was going to bed, you know, at six o'clock and sleeping until eight o'clock. She wasn't seeing friends. She wasn't listening to music or reading. Like it was screwing with her life. So people who have that, you know, and then between 60 and like 90% of those people won't go back and use it again. Like, it's sort of just like, I don't know, like it, it, you have to, like, you have to really want to do the work in order to to get better. And it's hard to motivate yourself, especially when, when you are depressed. And I've definitely had like, like moments in in my history with depression where it's like, I don't care what's going to make me feel better. I just want to like, I'm just not there. It's incredibly debilitating. And then, you know, you have this kind of double whammy where, you know, the, the, the weather and the season is causing your depression to be worse and also making it harder for you to do those things like exercise and see people that are going to help you feel better. So Dr. Rockline said she's actually working on some research that might encourage people to stick with the light therapy. We discovered a photoreceptor in the retina about 2000 one and we never knew it was there before and this is called melanopsin and this photoreceptor might be the very one that is not working well in sad or is less sensitive to light and sad so i'm trying to develop a way of measuring the response of melanopsin to light in people with sad in people with non-seasonal depression and then in people who have no history of depression 
And one of the reasons I'm doing that is because if we could do a simple blood test or a simple pupil test and predict whether or not a person will be helped with light therapy, then we could save them a lot of trouble and money by skipping the cost of the light box and the time and going straight to one of the other treatments. Or if we say, hey, this test suggests light therapy will be really useful for you, why don't you give it a good shot? I wonder if people won't try um, more persistently to get the most they can out of light therapy because they know that biologically they can benefit. Um, I want to end with a special guest who actually lives in Ian's corner of the country. Um, we've been focusing a lot on how seasonal affective disorder affects humans, uh, but we haven't really addressed how it affects some of our non-human friends. I was lucky enough to be able to speak with Snacks the Bunny, um, and I called her up to get her thoughts on SAD. Um, so, so hi, Snacks. Hi. Hi. Um. So to start, I was wondering if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are. Sure, sure. Okay, so a little bit about me. Um, I'm 37 years old. I'm a recovering chocoholic. Um, I'm white. <laughs> and um, I like lots of different types of um, foods. Does does the season change affect you, you know, in, in a different way, physically, emotionally, or psychologically, uh, you know, as a bunny? I'm not as affected as much, but I can, like, absorb how much it's affecting all the other species around me. And I'm reacting mm. to it because I think for me, I'm just kind of happy all the time. And I see that other people struggle um, that it does affect me. It really does. Have you had any friends who have experienced seasonal affective disorder, you know, which is seasonal depression? Oh, sure. Yeah, I've had lots of friends that have struggled with this. Um, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> some, some of my friends that are dogs, you know, they don't get to go out as much. And I think that really makes them really, like, depressed, you know? Yeah. I think dogs, yeah. they just love the summer so much. They're, like, obsessed with it. And I think that when it's not summer anymore, they just get really bummed out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know you have some strong opinions about the, the name seasonal affective disorder, you know, which is abbreviated to SAD. Um, I was wondering if you would share those with our listeners. Yeah, I mean, just the name of the disorder makes you sad because you're, it's called sad, you know, and you're saying it. And I think when you identify as sad, like I have sad or I am sad or I just think that that's maybe not the best idea. So I was thinking that we should change the name of the disorder to something that's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little bit less depressing, like something like pumpkin spice blues. It has a seasonal element there, too, but yes. it's, it's cheerier. I mean, you know, call me yeah. basic, but I love pumpkin spice. Um, I'm curious about, you know, you, you, your personal history. Have you, have, have you, Snacks, ever been treated by a mental health professional? You know, um, recently I saw someone and they told me that I should get a therapy dog. 
So mm-hmm. I've been seeing this dog as a therapist for a while now. And I'm not sure if he's doing his job. I show up and he's mostly just sleeping. And I'm trying to mm-hmm. talk to him about my problems. Um, so I wouldn't recommend a therapy dog. They're not the best oh, therapists, okay. you know. Um, they also, and they said someone said I should get a service dog, and I got I I I got one, and the service was terrible. I mean, <laughs> I ordered some nachos, and they never came. Just not not a good, probably not a retriever then. No. In that case, no. Um, so, do you have any suggestions for for people who do have you know or people or animals who do have seasonal mood changes? Um, or any form of, of depression, uh, any ideas or suggestions on how to feel better, you know, as someone who, who feels pretty great most of the time? I think that when we feel sad inside, it helps to do nice things for other people to get us out of that mood and to get us out of just sort of wallowing in whatever's going on in our own heads. You know, give people compliments. I love giving people compliments. I think that that mm-hmm. is the smallest just gifts that you can give people and you can be creative with them. I mean, I've been trying to find different ways to tell people nice things. Like I, I've been telling people like, Oh my God, you look just like Natalie Portman when you sleep (laughs) or like, like, wow, what a really great pin number you came up with. (laughs) Like just little things that people aren't used to hearing. I think it mm-hmm. really brighten their day, and then it makes you feel good, and I think it really mm-hmm. can help you get out of a funk. Okay, well, that's great. Um, and then um, are there any other additional mental health issues, you know, that, that you want to uh, shed light on, I, maybe even in the bunny community? Yeah, you know, in the bunny community, there is, you know, a stigma also attached to it, but but, but there is... A problem with bunny depression, you know, and, uh-huh. and people don't like to talk about it, but it's it's a real sense of hoplessness. <laughs> oh. um, okay, one last thing. Um, I know that you have a friend slash, uh, you know, I don't know if alter ego is the right word. How, how, how would you describe prom queen? Oh, that's my favorite band. Oh, your favorite band. Yeah. Um, So I just, I know Prom Queen uh, uh, came out with a new album recently. Mm -hmm. Um, If people want to check out that album, where should they go? Oh, they should totally check out the new Prom Queen album. It's called Doom Wop, and they can go to promqueenmusic.com and hear all about it, listen to it, download it. It's everywhere. Okay, well, well, Snacks, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I feel like we did, you know, we learned a lot from you. And um, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your shows to make sure that you have the next episode when it comes out. You can search for group or for Rebecca Lee Douglas. Thanks to Faith Rusk, to Shay Cornelius, and to Anna Bauman for their help with this episode. Special thanks to Sean DeTori for his help recording snacks. And for music lovers, Sean has an amazing podcast where he interviews musicians called The Mixtape. You can listen to that at mynorthwest.com slash mixtape. Again, check out the amazing comedian artist slash musician, Celine Ramadan, a.k.a. Prom Queen, a.k.a. Snacks the Bunny. 
Um, her new album is Doom Wop, and you can listen to it at promqueenmusic.com. Another note I wanted to, to say, we're partnering with Acast now, so we're going to start having ads on the podcast soon, which is a good thing for group. Um, it increases the likelihood that we're going to be able to keep doing this and bring you better and better shows. Uh, music in this episode is by The Losers. Check out Ian's podcast, Menagerie, on stories about animals and how humans interact with them. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, take care, be kind to yourself, and maybe check out a sad lamp. You know what it is? It's about managing your inner monologue. My inner monologue is like, chip, 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 go, go, go. Oh, peanut, jump. I try to keep it upbeat. See, my inner monologue, and I think this goes for all rats, is just the F word on repeat. Oh, that's a lot of self-loathing.